This is the Simply Love Jesus podcast, where we explore life and faith through the lens of one question, which is what does it mean to simply love Jesus? I'm your host, Caleb Davis, and unfortunately, it's another week is going by, and our co-host, Mr. Aaron Collier, is not going to be joining us this evening. Uh, It is late at night. I'm not going to tell you exactly how late, because you'll probably be disappointed in my soul when I tell you how late it's going to be that how I'm going to be recording this. But regardless, the show must go on and another week must go by and I must record another podcast. Aaron is not with me. And for that, I'm kind of upset, but it's okay. I'll forgive him one day. Um, and so really excited. If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to the Simply Love Jesus podcast. We're just all about exploring life and faith through the lens of a question that God used to radically sh- uh, cl- bring clarity to my faith and radically sh- uh, shaped my life. And so my mission in life is to teach this question to other people and how it uh, truly uh, can influence and change the way that we do church, the way that we uh, we interact with others, the way that we even uh, explore our own life. And so we've been in a series, if you're just now jumping in for the first time, the series is called Taking Back Religion. And so the purpose of this series is that we've been exploring uh, how there have been some circles, especially in the church world. um, And for many years, there have been Christians and some certain lines of thinking that have tried to unhinge Christianity from religion. They've tried to unhinge Christianity Uh, from organized religion and believe that the idea that religion is the problem in our faith and that somehow religion is the enemy and that somehow that Christianity in itself that it shouldn't be a religion that I remember growing up personally I shared this a couple episodes ago that when I was younger I remember hearing this phrase that Christianity is not a religion it's a relationship with Christ. And while at the time that sounded like super sexy and like super like trendy and stuff like that, it over time and recently, as I've been reflecting on scripture and God's word, realizing that that's not true because Christianity is a religion. And in fact, when we embrace that Christianity is a religion, that it's there's it's something beautiful and can begin to actually shape so much of how we interact with others, how we understand simply love Jesus, how we understand our relationship with God, our place, our purpose in this world. All of that is shaped when we embrace that Christianity is a religion. So week one. We, we introduced this concept. We, inter- we talked about all that I'm talking to you right now. We introduced this series, and we, we explored how Christianity it was not only intended to be a religion, but it was expected by God to be the greatest religion. It was expected by God to be the best religion. And he placed that expectation, and we see that in Scripture when he's engaging with the nation of Israel, and he's engaging with Abraham. What God did not tell Abraham was that, hey, you're not going to be a nation. You're going to be a family. That's that's what you're going to be. No, God told him you're going to be a nation. In fact, all nations will be blessed through you. You're going to be the best nation, though. 
you are going to be an example and you're going to be blessed. The word blessed is to be set apart. Is It's in very, very much in line and intertwines with the word holiness is to be set apart, to be made holy, that God is blessing Abraham by setting him apart from all other nations and that he still is a nation, but that he's the best nation. He's being set apart. So that's what we talked about in week in episode one or part one of this series. And in part two, I got to just explode with nerdism. And I was so excited because there's so many things that, that go on in my head. There's so many gears that turn. And I'm, I love being able to kind of just give people a window into what that's like. And so I got to really explore the history and the background. I got to explore why we are where we are today. And I got to explore this reality that there are these little things that have been piecing together over the course of the church history that have led us to this place where the church is no longer seen, at least in a first world, like in America. And that's mainly where I'm usually taught. When I'm addressing the church as a general statement, I'm usually addressing it from the perspective of what I've observed from the church in the country of America. So what I've observed and what how I've talked to many people about this very same issue, different people I've had uh, conversations with, um, it, there's this general perception that the church or Christians are not perceived as a persecuted people. They're actually perceived as the persecutors. And so I began this overview of church history by explaining one of the most important benchmarks to why this we're seen as the persecutors, at least in America, is goes back to 325 AD when Constance, Constantine established Christianity as the religion of Rome. And I then s- summarized some another several hundred years of history leading up to the Middle Ages. And I didn't give exact dates or numbers. One, because I feel like our listeners just wouldn't be interested. I think that you listeners are smart enough to be able to look online and, and really just look up the exact dates if you want real numbers. But then the other bit is that, you know, some of our listeners just, they just take my word for it. They know I love history and that I'm not going to just, I'm not going to cheap, cheap this out and, 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 and twist twist facts to paint a specific narrative. I love history, and so I want to be faithful to that. And I just believe that what I've observed in history it just clearly points out what I'm what I'm trying to say. And so I last left off uh, at the end of the Middle Ages and gave some commentary about that. Now today in this episode, what we're going to be doing is we're picking up the the conversation, and we're going to be looking a little bit more into another vital piece into leading us where we are today and how we got to where we are. So we're picking it up today where we are is one of the most important factors into understanding our history and how we got in America where we are to where now we're seen as the persecutors is going back to the seven is going or I guess fast forwarding if you want to look at it that way (laughs) Uh, fast forwarding a little bit to 
the middle uh, to the 1700s. So in the 1700s, this is actually um, in the midst of you know like you know us becoming an independent nation and all this stuff. But in the midst of the 1700s, there is this thing called the Great Awakening. Now the Great Awakening is I'm reading this. Uh, you can find what I'm 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 quoting from. You can read this from. Uh, history.com so this is my source like at least the summary so the summary of what i'm reading of the great awakenings is from history.com you can look this up yourself but the great awakenings was a religious revival that impacted the english colonies in america during the 1730s and the 1740s the movement came at a time when the idea of secular rationalism was being emphasized and a passion for religion had grown stale Christian leaders often traveled from town to town preaching about the gospel, emphasizing salvation from sins and promoting um, enthusiasm for Christianity. And the result was renowned dedication towards religion. Many historians believe the Great Awakening had lasting impact on various Christian denominations and American culture at large. I would agree with that. In fact, I believe it's been very influential to where we are today. But I'll get back to that in a little bit. And I want to connect all these dots. So my purpose of this episode, if you're you're already lost, first I want to apologize. Like this is my moment to shine, where my where I really begin to emphasize like some of the things in my that goes on in my head, and I connect all these dots because I look I love connecting dots in history and thinking about where we are today and why where we are. So. <clears throat> my purpose to this episode is finishing the historical connections and beginning to then finalize and start connecting all the dots my hope is to connect these dots to help you paint a picture in your mind a roadmap to the things in history which have systematically led our culture to have certain adopted mindsets that has led us to where we are today, where now Christianity is seen as the persecutors and not the persecuted, whereas we're supposed to, we thrive in persecution. So going back, all right, so I want to read a little bit about the Great Awakenings, and then I'll give you a little bit of commentary on that. So First Great Awakening happened in the 1700s um, in a European philosophical movement known as the Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason. Uh, This was making its way across the Atlantic Oceans to the American colonies. Enlightenment thinkers emphasized a scientific and logical view of the world while, now this is the emphasis, while downplaying religion. So understand that like a scientific and logical view of the world is not bad. And in fact, even today, many theologians will will recognize and even reconcile and actually bring us back to our original understanding of scripture and helping us understand that like we have nothing to be scared of when we're exploring science and when we're understanding how the world works that it doesn't contradict scripture because it doesn't the scripture isn't was not here to answer all of our scientific questions it's here to make and much more important claims about the state of the human condition, the state of the world, and our part that we have to play in fixing that. So that that's a whole other trail. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, hopefully. Maybe. Um, but the point is that the real issue was not the scientific and logical view of the world, but that those views were used to downplay religion. 
And so in many ways, this is another, this is an important key fact right here. In many ways, religion was becoming more formal and less personal during this time, which had led to lower church attendance. Christians were feeling complacent with their method of methods of worship. Some were disillusioned with how wealth and rationalism were, were dominating culture. Many began to crave a return to religious piety. So what is happening was during this time, what, what embraced culture at large, uh, what had really taken root was this complacency and this complacency was how religion had become more formal and less personal during this time. More formal and less personal. And so what was the answer to this? Well, the stage was set for a renewal of faith, so says History.com. Uh, and in the late 1720s, a revival break began to take root as preachers altered their messages and re-emphasized concepts of Calvinism. So Calvinism was a theology that is introduced by John Calvin um, in the 16th century. It stresses the importance of scripture, faith, things like predestination, the grace of God, yada, yada, yada. One of the most notable figures in the First Great Awakening was Jonathan Edwards. So he was an Anglican minister, and he is considered like one of the biggest figures in the great like when you when historians talk about the great awakening you talk about key figures jonathan edwards he was he is like the top of the top like he's the cream of the crop when it comes to that i that time so jonathan now listen to this edwards message centered on the idea that humans were sinners this is true that god was ang but this is and this is another part that god was an angry judge and that, that sinners needed to ask for forgiveness. He also preached justi justification by faith alone, which is also true. But in 1741, Edwards gave the, an, an infamous and emotional sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's a famous message. History.com says it's infamous. I don't agree with that. It was not infamous. It's a very famous sermon. I, I, I have opinions about it, but... We'll share that for another day. Maybe we'll talk about it. I don't know. So his sermon was titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. News of this message spread quickly throughout the colonies. He was known for his passion and his energy. Another person was George Whitfield. You had Whitfield preach to common people, slaves, Native Americans. No one was out of reach. Even, and this is interesting, even Benjamin Franklin, who was a religious skeptic, was captivated by Whitfield's sermons, and the two became friends. That's interesting. I did not know that. Uh, that's that's actually fascinating. I did not. I did not know that. Anyways, so sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, the basic theme of sinners in the hands of an angry God is that God was an, is an angry judge, and it emphasized our need for forgiveness in the light of God being an angry judge. So he's an angry God. In fact, it uses, let me, let me just quote it for you. Let me quote, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It says, the God that holds you over the pit of hell 
much as one holds a spider or a loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like a fire. He hold, he looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is purer than the he has he is of purer eyes than you bear you in his sight. You are ten thousand times as abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You've offended him in infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. And he goes on to explain this as part of his sermon. But I want you to take note. I'm not going to pick this apart because this is a different time. You know, it was a, it was a different time. But here's one of the points that I want to make. This sermon had such an effect on people because sentences such as it's the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one's going to have a spider or a lonesome insect over the fire. He abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath burns towards you like a burns in the fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. That's like that's the voice that I hear when I read this is this very angry person and here's why that's a big deal because this is how other people have viewed this message Um, many people were very inspired by this sermon in fact even today many people are inspired by this sermon because people still use this language today. God, we need them to understand the wrath of God. Now they're just be born sinners. They're going to be tossed into the flames because you're nothing but a worthless piece of crap in the eyes of God. That's, yeah, that's the message we're communicating. And do please understand, that is how they would have heard it. Very fear, a lot of fear, a lot of shame, a lot of, a lot of shame on you feel bad and scared that you're you're just going to go to hell unless you pray this prayer and then you're okay. And then if you start going to church more, you got it. It was why was this all brought about? Why is it that this was a need? Because religion was becoming more formal and less personal during this time. So, bringing it all back, bringing it all back. The purpose that Jonathan Edwards gave this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was understanding that this was because religion was seen as less formal and less personal. And so the answer to it being less personal and less formal was a message of anger. The message of, he was was recorded as being a very passionate preacher. Very passionate. And many were inspired by that. And so they desired to replicate that. They desired to replicate it. Even today, many people seek to replicate that. And they think the answer to these people today in our society today, they think the answer to that is that we need another sinners in the hands of an angry God. And so what do they do? They, they try to conjure up these same emotions within people and they think the same message is going to work but here's here's something i want us to consider consider a campfire consider a campfire how do you build a campfire let's consider two methods 
two methods to, to build a campfire. Method one. One way you can build a campfire is you, you know, you, you, you set up the boundaries. You, 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 you get some twigs and some, you know, some, maybe some pine straw, just some very flammable things. And you start burning them. You build what's called some, some embers. You build a base of embers, which are these hot coals like thing. It's a very, it's a fine heated base. So it's always warm. So you you burn these twigs and these straw and this all this thing, build these embers, and then you start stacking on the wood. You carefully stack it so that as it crumbles and it's building more coals and more embers, and you have now this very slow building but very strong flame. But slow building, slow building. Method two. Method two. As you just stack all the wood, all the stuff, you just throw it in that little pit. You mean you just douse that thing with some gasoline? You just throw some gasoline on there, get a match, flick that thing on there, and watch it go higher than when I smack the chicken on the backside. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that's method two. So which way is faster, or which way is better? Which is the better campfire? The one where you build it slow, steady. You have embers at the bottom, and it's crackling, nice crackling campfire. And then you now have a strong base to then throw some more stuff on there and now get a really big fire. But it's no matter how much it dies out, you're going to have that strong base at the bottom. Or what happens is if you just burn it with gasoline, what, what that does, or lighter fluid or whatever you use, lighter fluid will, lighter fluid will create a really big flame really quick. But the problem is it sucks out all the oxygen from the wood. So in reality, though it creates a, a quicker start, a bigger, a big flame really quickly, what the problem is is it, it'll go out quickly. And then it'll actually be more difficult to start a fire after. So in those two methods, I tell you that because what if we view the word of God preaching the gospel like building a campfire? What if in the great awakening, sinners in the hands of an angry God and all these other very damnation, hellfire type sermons, what if they were just gasoline? And now we are in the after effects. They were just gasoline thrown on a fire. You sure you got you got quick results. Lots of quick conversions. But at what cost? Now we see many people turning away from faith. And in fact, it's going to be harder to get that flame reignited in their lives. So let me go back. Let me start retracing some of these puzzles. Let me start putting some of these pieces together. Hopefully you're putting them together yourself. I am so sorry if like you're lost and this is your first time listening to this podcast. I promise we're usually much more clear, but this is just my time to just really explode. It's great. I'm really excited. I'm just lashed. I'm go. I'm unleashed. Anyways, let me put these pieces together and it'll be great.
and hopefully you'll begin to put together some of the pieces that I have put together mentally in my understanding of this in history. So going all the way back to the beginning, not the beginning, beginning, but you know what I mean? So going all the way back to when Christianity was founded by a group of Jews who were being persecuted. They are being persecuted heavily by Jews and by the Romans. And then 325 AD, Constantine establishes Christianity as the religion of Rome. We talked about this last episode. Fast forward through the Middle Ages. The church gained the church gained power over the throne and we began to now have come we were now at a position where we could assert our authority and our beliefs not with influence through the church and through preaching of the word and through the scriptures and through community but instead we could enforce our beliefs on authority with the sword we enforced our beliefs because now we can hold it over people's head that, oh, you should listen to me because I'm spiritual. I am represent God or as, you know, many languages that they, you know, they used back then uh, or vocabulary was that I intercede on God's behalf. I am the Pope. I am the I am the closest to God, the closest thing to God next to Jesus. All right. Uh, next to God himself. You know, that's the ultimate word. The ultimate authority was the Pope. And then the Reformation happened, and now the ultimate authority was placed at its rightful rightful place. The ultimate authority was the was the scriptures. And now you had that. Well we then we moved to America, but you still have that leftover mentality of we're still the top dog religion in the world. And then religion begins to go on a little bit of a decline, kind of stagnant. Why? It's not as personal is formal, a little bit boring. So you got to spice things up a little bit and you spice it up with the fires of hell. And so what happens? The great awakening happens and it marks this period of these angry preachers who tell people that you're nothing but a sack of crap in the eyes of God and that you're nothing in his eyes. You're just a venomous serpent. Who's a piece of trash? That's what you are. And you know what? If you don't want to burn in hell, you got to give your life to the Lord. Get your act freaking together. And now you have this mass conversion. You do that a couple times, shake it up a little bit, throw in some couple of different figures in there. And uh, over the next couple, uh, let's see, 18, 17, 18, 1900s, you're looking about. 200, 300 years of that kind of preaching. Well, no wonder we are where we are. Have you seen these pieces begin to to be put together? Hopefully it begins to make a little bit more sense when you go on social media and you see these people who act very entitled as a Christian. Like when the country begins to start having unbiblical beliefs, why is it that so many of us get outraged? We're like expecting like, um, don't you understand that you're supposed to act like a Christian? Don't you, don't y'all get that? We're supposed to believe these things. You're supposed to believe these things, whether you believe in God or not. It's just abominable if you were to be 
believe in this or believe that this person can love this person or to believe this and that or to believe whatever. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from years and years of influence from people who threw gasoline on the fight to make their campfire, who used gasoline to make their campfire. And before that, it comes from being top dog in the world because we took authority over the throne and we 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 forced our authority over people and where did that come from like that goes all the way back to when we just got in our comfort zone and we were no longer a persecuted people we were no longer a persecuted people that's what it comes back to we left our place as a persecuted people. Here's what we have to understand, church, friends, family, listeners. We thrive in persecution. Christians, that's who we are. It, bring, it goes all the way back to being a Hebrew, being persecuted by Egyptians. We thrive in persecution. Why? Because Jesus was persecuted. And so, how do we respond? How do we, what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with this information? Understanding that we are people with a history of going from persecuted to being top dog and becoming the persecutors. What do we do with that? What does Simply Love Jesus have to say about this? It's God's love for us that influences our love for him. That should have been plainly clear in scripture. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Jonathan Edwards was not a real Christian. He's influenced many people to this day. I think he had wonderful overarching mission, or he had an overarching ministry, and many things that he said was great. But I think this one message, for example, it inspired too many copycats who just were not Jonathan Edwards. There's a lot of people today who are trying to copycat him. At least, I maybe it was right for the time. Like I said, it's like gasoline. It's throwing that gasoline on the campfire. Is the cost really worth it? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God is what definitively inspired your bullhorn preachers, your people with your the protesters and not like the good kind of protesting. I'm talking like the people with like signs in the street and saying like, God hates gays and that God hates you and you're all going to burn in hell. That's what's inspired this. It's what's inspired your damnation pamphlets. It's inspired all of that. Is that truly worth it for the cost? I don't think it is. I don't, I don't think it is worth it. So what does simply love Jesus have to say about all this? Simply love Jesus teaches us that God's love for us is what compelled him to die for us. And that he, and through the love of God, we can plainly see how he is supremely sovereign. He is the one in charge. He is the righteous judge who is holy. He is so much holier 
than we are. We can't even stand in his presence. He's it's like the sun. You can't stand in the presence of the sun. You'll die. It's that holy. It's it's like it's hot. It's hot. It's a burning ball of gas, and it's gonna burn you alive if you get too close. And that's the presence of God. And yet, God invites us to stand in his presence. And the way that you and I can stand in his presence is because of the love of Jesus, which came and died and rose again so that we could have life and have it abundantly. That doesn't sound angry. I think there are points God is angry. Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But simply love Jesus teaches me that's God's love for me, which inspires my love for him. And it brings me back to what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what's not going to get me to love God when I hear this message that, oh, you're going to burn in the flame. You're worth a piece of crap. And you just deserve hell. That's not getting me closer to Jesus. So I hope that so far you've, you've learned something. In this, in this episode, again, my hope was that we could connect some dots. And here, those are the dots that there are little things that have happened over the course of church history that have led us to where we are today. And we have to recognize this history because if we aren't willing to acknowledge it, we're not going to be able to move forward and actually reach people with the gospel. We have to be like the first method of the campfire. We have to be willing to go the long route and slowly influence others with love and grace and servant-heartedness. We have to serve others. We have to show people that we care before we tell them what we care about. And unfortunately, because of years and years of these you know, damnation preachers and years of people being inspired by these angry preachers and influencing their methodology. Now we have to both minister to people as well as correct people because their perspective of who God is is exactly who we made God out to be, an angry God who hates us. That's who we've made him out to be. That's who our Christian ancestors have made God out to be. We gotta we have to repent of that. That is not that is not honoring God. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have to love God with all of our hearts so that the world may see our love for God. That's what's gonna bring people in. It's you gotta live your life as if people are missing out on something if they don't got Jesus. That would have been the answer back then. The religion was boring and it was impersonal. How do you change that? You live your life in a way that you're really missing out on something if you don't have Jesus. Are you doing that today? Like, are you living? That's my challenge to you. Are you living your life in a way that teaches others that they're missing out on something if they don't have Jesus? Do you simply love Jesus? So, I think that's going to be enough for today. Like, we've talked a lot. I've rambled on a lot. I'm so sorry. I hope you... Please, if this was helpful in some way, I would really appreciate you reaching out on our Instagram 
and uh, just letting us know what you learned if you learned something um because man i just i just had to wing it i just wanted to go for it lay it all out there kind of give some history stuff and it was good stuff um our instagram or twitter is at slj ministries you know reach out let us know if you're really really learning something from this episode i would love to hear your thoughts what's going through your mind are you connecting some other dots that i'm not thinking about i would love to know (laughs) um that being said let me tell you the songs that we got for you today the songs that we got for you today these were graciously provided to us by chill hop music very great so one song we got was titled so it's uh delayed flashes of calm by the artist mommy (laughs) or c4 no yeah no no, it's it's mommy sorry c4 was track number four on my record (laughs) mommy is i believe the artist and uh yeah flashes of calm and then the the other song that we had for you guys is uh by plusma plusma albatross albatross plusma albatross i don't know yeah so those are the two songs we had for you guys today thank you for tuning in we really hope you learned something valuable and we would appreciate you reaching out and following us on either instagram or twitter at slj ministries and thank you so much you guys are great have a great day Let us know how we can pray for you.